So we are, uh, we are back in uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, for those of you that are watching online and weren't able to hear Ryan because the mic didn't work, we are, um, we are back in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. Um, Stephen finished up uh, uh, up to verse 6 um, four weeks ago. And uh, we've titled the sermon series, Compelled. Compelled. And uh, we want to ask the question all throughout this series is, what compels um, the way you live? What compels um, the way you spend your time, your money, um, your resources? What compels you? Because we're all compelled by something at, uh, at different times. And uh, I titled this sermon today that uh, life comes through dying. And it's, um, it's weeks, like, weeks like this that um, even if you didn't know Luann Thompson, um, what you do know is that it was uh, a fellow image bearer, a woman made in the image of Christ, who was saved by God's grace, who had great gifts, um, who was here on Friday night um, living a normal life expecting to have tomorrow when God in his providence uh, determined to uh, give her a heart attack and to take her home. We spend our lives trying to preserve our lives, which is so antithetical to the way that Jesus has called us to live, that he has called us to lay down our lives to pick up our cross. The Christian life could be summarized as dying to self and living to Christ. If you want to, like an a, uh, elevator definition of what it means to be a Christian, it's dying to self and living to Christ. The Bible tells us over and over again that life comes through dying. Dying to self and following Jesus wherever he leads and whatever he asks. It's not always easy, is it? But it's always best. God's ways are always best. And it's not always easy for us because we live in a culture that encourages the pursuit of power, control, and comfort at any cost. And when we finally possess these uh, power and comfort and, um, and control, we can finally start living. We have finally arrived. But when our God becomes power and control and comfort, and me, myself, and I becomes the focus of our lives rather than God and others, we're not living. We're not going to find the abundant life there. Paul is writing to the church that he started by God's grace and in whom he dearly loves. He's writing because the church, the church in Corinth, is, starting to believe, is believing the same lies that we tend to believe today. And false teachers are trying to discredit Paul's, Paul and his message. And their primary arg argument, the false teacher's argument against Paul and his ministry, is that Paul is not powerful, that he is not in control. And he certainly doesn't live a comfortable lifestyle. So the argument continues. Why listen to or follow a man who has nothing together? This deceptive mindset can dupe Christians, you and me, into thinking we shouldn't be weak and that we should be in control. And that we should stand up for our rights instead of laying down our perceived rights for, by loving others and serving our enemies. The gods of human flesh are power and control and comfort, and these false gods, little g, compel us to pursue a life of self-focus rather than sacrifice for the sake and glory of God and the sake of others. The misinformed Christian wants to enjoy the benefits of Jesus' death without dying to self. We want to truly live without dying. We want to have our proverbial cake and eat it too. 
But the Christian life is upside down. The abundant life Jesus promised his followers is found in dying to self by laying down our pursuit of comfort and power and control in order to follow Jesus and serve others. It's a wonderful paradox, and this paradox actually brings life and life abundantly, even in the midst of pain and sorrow and sickness and death. A few questions for you this morning. Are you trying to find life by protecting your life? Are you finding life by giving it away? Are you trying to find life by preserving what is yours or giving it away? Are you more concerned about being served or by serving others? Are you living for your sake or for the sake of Jesus and the sake of others? We're going to go through 7 through 15 today, and the verses will be a bit out of order. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking through it just the way that my logical mind, or, or maybe it's illogical to you, but it's logical to me, uh, follows the flow here. And, uh, and we're going to paint a profile of a follower of Christ that really has four different aspects to this profile. Now, the first aspect is, is that, that we have treasure in jars of clay. And number two, that we live by dying. And number three, we believe, we have faith, and, and so we speak. And last is that we live for the sake of others and for the glory of God. I want to just do a high-level review on what uh, the uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, because the passage today is, of, of course, tied to that. Back in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, Paul said that he has this ministry by the mercy of God. He didn't pine for it. There was nothing he did to deserve his ministry. And he certainly didn't think that he was God's gift to humanity. Paul knew profoundly that anything that he had was a gift from God. It was by God's mercy, including his salvation and including the, his ministry of reconciliation. And then we saw in, those, in that passage, 1 through 6, that Paul says that we proclaim not ourselves, unlike the false apostles who proclaim themselves, but he proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul's dying focus is to make Jesus Christ, not himself, the main thing. Paul wants to be invisible, and he wants to make much of Jesus. And then in verse 5, he says, we are your servants for Jesus' sake. That his ministry existed to serve other people for the glory of God. He lived to serve, live his life as a servant to all whom God had providentially put him in relationship with, and he does it all for, the, for Jesus' sake or God's glory. And then number 6 answers the question, what compels him? What compels him to live the life that he lives? God in his mercy shined his light into the darkness of Paul's heart to reveal the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Paul had an encounter with the living God in the person of Jesus Christ, and Paul's life was forever changed. And I would submit to you this morning that that's the crux of the Christian life. That God didn't just, just, just uh, Jesus didn't just condescend and live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death and, get victori and be victoriously raised again so that we can just be forgiven. No, he did that so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be in a relationship with Christ and that we can continue the sacrificial ministry that he started in his 30-some years on earth. So number one, 
verse 7, that a follower of Christ has treasure in jars of clay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Paul describes himself as as a jar of clay that contains this treasure described in verse 6. The light that is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The most valuable possession that anyone could ever imagine. And then he describes himself and other believers, you and me, as jars of clay. And he uses this metaphor of a vessel made from clay that wears out, it chips, it breaks, and it has an expiration date. It cracks. You might say that Paul is describing himself as a crackpot, as I would describe many of you. In using this metaphor, he provides a stark contrast between the fragile earthen vessels and the eternal priceless treasure that that these vessels hold. Between human weakness and God's surpassing power. It's not the clay pot that makes the treasure beautiful and valuable. It's the treasure that makes the clay pot beautiful and valuable. We tend to have a focus on ourselves, doing everything we can to earn position and control and power and comfort. In essence, we spend an inordinate inordinate amount of time shining the pot when it's actually the pot's job to let the perfect treasure shine out of its imperfections. William Jowett, the, the early theologian from Oxford, said this, there's something wrong when the vessel robs the treasure of its glory. When the picture takes second place to the frame, the frame of a valuable painting exists to bring out the glory of the picture. You don't want to have a, a frame that, um, that, it, that looks more valuable than the, the picture itself. You see, God chose to house such treasure in lowly vessels so that others may see the power and the beauty of the treasure, not the vessel. One of the primary mandates in Scripture is to shine the light or glorify God for who He is and what He's done. The Corinthian believers that Paul is admonishing or addressing in this letter were giving glory to the clay pots, to the conveyors of the message, rather than the source of the message, that these false teachers were touting how good they were and how, good their, how, how great their resume was. The, the light was shined on them rather than on the treasure that they possessed. Divine power does not manifest itself by making the believer powerful, but actually serves as the grounds for divine power. God's power is displayed in the weakness of crackpots like you and me. Paul makes it clear in chapter 12, verse 9, where he claims that power does not drive out weakness. Like like Jesus, um, the treasure in us does not drive out our weakness. On the contrary, it, it, it only comes to its full strength in and through our weakness. That God's power comes to full strength um, in and through our weakness. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Paul had asked Jesus to remove the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was, but he begged him three times. But Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. The weakness doesn't go away. But Christ's strength comes through our weakness. Like Paul, we too are not adequate to live this life and ministry well on our own. Maybe it would be helpful to breathe a bit and be content with our weaknesses, knowing that our all-powerful treasure has it under control, and therefore we don't have to be in control. That feels pretty good. We can come in weakness knowing that the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead will ultimately protect us and vindicate us and resurrect us. Therefore, Paul can acknowledge the reality of his weakness while at the same time have confidence in God's power keeping him. Listen to him in verse 8 and 9. He says, We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I love the way that the Barclay version of this passage reads, we are sore pressed at every point, but not hemmed in. We are at wit's end, but never at hope's end. We are persecuted by men, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but never knocked out. Paul elaborates on this list of afflictions. He doesn't tell us what these afflictions are here, but he does in chapter 11 and a couple of other places in his writings. He says this in chapter 2, verse 11. First of all, he asks the question to the Corinthians, are these false teachers, uh, uh, are they servants of Christ? Are they serving Christ? It's a rhetorical question. And then he answers it. He says, I'm a better one. He says, if they say they're servants of Christ, I'm a better one. And what do you expect when somebody says that? To give a list of credentials as to why they're a better servant of Christ. And I want you to listen to these credentials as to why Paul says that he's a better servant of Christ than these false apostles who are um, pointing to the, uh, the, the jar of clay rather than the treasure. Paul, he, he describes this. He says, he says, I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments, Countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Jesus got 40. Three times I was beaten with rods. This is his resume. This is why he's a better servant. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, without food, in cold and exposure. Daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And he says this in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. He hardly serves as an attractive endorsement to the advantages of being a Christian. Who would sign up for this type of life? I remember when the Lord was drawing me and hearing stories of sold-out Christians, that their lives, like they're, they're, I could see their weak lives, and I wanted nothing to do with that at the time. But of course, the hound of heaven tracked me down. Who would sign up for a life like this? I'll tell you who. Anyone 
who comes to know the beauty of the treasure and the frailty of their own flesh. Paul's not some pushover who has a fatalistic attitude of, oh, well, I guess everything's going to work out, so I'll just sit back and live a safe life. It's just the opposite. He has such confidence in the power of the treasure to deliver him from his suffering and hardship in this life or the next life that he's compelled to make much of this powerful treasure while being content, even boasting in his weakness. The second profile of a follower of Christ is in verses 13 and 14. We're going to skip 10, 11, and 12 for now. And this, this, uh, it's that we believe and we speak. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. In verse 13, he's most likely hearkening back to Psalm 116, verse 10, where David prayed in the midst of much affliction. And Paul, like David before him, is weighed down with a crushing load of sorrow. But at the same time, he is buoyed up by the supreme assurance that God will deliver him through his suffering, if not from his suffering. Don't miss that, that God will always um, buoy us and carry us through our suffering if he doesn't deliver us from our suffering. So Paul says, by faith in God's promises, I will speak of my treasure at all times, believing that there is no eternal harm that can lay hold of me. I believed and so I spoke. He has confidence that God will use him and keep him and that ultimately no lasting harm can come to him. He walks by faith and not by sight. Therefore, he can speak the gospel message knowing that no ultimate harm can come his way and that God will bring him all the way through any and every trial. And if he's not delivered from the trial in this life, he knows he'll be delivered from the trial one day. He knows that the treasure inside this cracked pot will give him all he needs for life and godliness. And this confidence empowers him to go for it, to live a life that runs, doesn't walk by the power of God. Our treasure will sustain us through every affliction. Whatever God carries us to, he will surely bring us through. So for Paul, he didn't go headlong looking for hardship. That's not what we're called to. We're not called to look for suffering. We're not called to look for hardship. But he welcomed it because he knew that in his weakness, he can most clearly see the power of God working. So number two, we believe and therefore we speak. We have faith in God's promises and we speak. Number three, living comes from dying, verses 10 and 11. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The Christian life, as I said at the beginning, can be characterized as dying to self and living to Christ. Therefore, Paul says, always. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Verse 11, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Jesus said the same thing. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
And whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Living comes from dying. Life is not found in comfort, control, or power, but dying to oneself and dying to our perceived rights. The problem isn't being comfortable or having power or being in control. That's not necessarily the, the, the problem. The problem is, is the pursuit of these to find life, the pursuit of comfort and power and control at any cost, rather than laying them down for the sake of Jesus and the sake of others. And you may not be called to literally lay down your life and die, heart-stopping die, but you are called, as every believer is called, to consider it all loss in comparison to knowing your treasure. The way of Jesus is to give and sacrifice, not take and accumulate. And my wife Nancy and I were talking about this a little bit, like on the big things, like I get it, but there's, just, there's times where like, I, like you know, you know we, all, we need rest, Jesus rested, but I just need a little bit too much me time. You know, it's, it's more about like, like me and, uh, rather than um, for the sake of God, for the glory of God, and for the sake of others. Paul said it this way, Philippians 3. Whatever gain I had, and Paul had a lot of gain. He was on the fast track, a Pharisee of Pharisees, from the tribe of Benjamin. Went to the best schools. Whatever I had, I counted it as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, his treasure. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them, count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ <clears throat> and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Um, what is the resurrection? It's, a, it's, it's Jesus dying, and it's the power of God raising him from the dead. And that same power indwells us. And if you want to know the resurrection power of Jesus in your life, you need to die. Paul knew supreme suffering that, that many of us will never be called to. But every one of us is called to consider our lives as rubbish in comparison to the surpassing glory of living for Christ and others. And in doing so, we will know the power of the resurrected Christ living in us. And until we pick up our cross and lay down our life, sacrifice, living sacrificial lives for his sake and others, um, we won't we won't know the, the resurrection power of Christ. Life is found in giving it all up. Power, control, and the pursuit of comfort. Can I just clarify one thing here? I like being comfortable. It's not a sin. God's put us in a place where by, for whatever reason we don't live in, in dirt huts. And we don't um, walk um, with carrying uh, 50 pound things of water on our head. What Paul is pointing out here is an all-out pursuit of comfort and power and control at the expense of not living a sacrificial life for the glory of God and the sake of Christ. That's what he's calling us to. 
And then he says, uh, after he says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus and always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, he says, so that, twice in verse 10 and 11, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that the life of Jesus, what is manifest, might be revealed in us, might be clear in us. The resurrected life of Jesus is visible in our lives, not when we protect our lives, but when we lay down our lives, lay down our comfort and our power and our control at any cost, and we, follow, we pick up our cross and follow Jesus. The treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ is revealed when we die to self, we love our neighbor, even if our neighbor is our enemy. Listen what Peter has to say about this. We have Jesus, Paul, and Peter. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. This is, this is for um, all Christians throughout all times. It's really subjecting ourselves to others, particularly authority. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust masters. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What he's saying here is, is that like, if you sin and you get consequences of your sin and you endure the consequences, so what? But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, when you do good, you do everything right and you suffer for it, this is the gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he was on the cross, he could have come off the cross. When he was being whipped, he could have grabbed the hold of the whip and started whipping back. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, Christ crucified is not only our message, it's our model. It's a way to live by the power of God. So let me ask you, do others see your strength and your fight to preserve your life, or do they see a sacrificial life? Live for the sake of others, even your enemies, even those who treat you unfairly. Do they see you live for the sake of others in the glory of God? So living comes from dying. And finally, the, the last profile point of a follower of Christ is that we live our lives for the sake of others in the glory of God. Verse 12, so, so death is at work in us, but life in you. This is what compels Paul. So death is at work in us, but life in you. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul dies to comfort and power and control so that others might live. His aim is to let the treasure he contains compel, to, compel him to shine and share that treasure that brings new life to dark and dead hearts. He dies daily so that others might live. And in verse 15, he says, it's all for your sake, for it's all for your sake. All, what's all for their sake and our sake? All, his speech, his life, his suffering, his shipwreck, his beating, it's all for the sake of others. 
When we die to our perceived rights and love people with Jesus dying love, it produces life in others. And it's, it's not just a proclamation of the gospel. It's the way that we live, laying down our own rights. It's forgiving others that maybe don't deserve forgiveness. It's confessing our sin to others when we've hurt them, even if they've hurt us. So we die. We continually die to our self and to our perceived rights so that others might have life. This was the, the way of Jesus. He healed people. He bound up their wounds knowing that those acts of justice, if I might, would actually put him to death. And of course, he ultimately laid down his life and rose again from the dead so that we could live. Paul dies to self and risks death so that others can live. He tells us in verse 15 that when grace extends to more and more people, thanksgiving will increase to the one who receives all the glory. Paul's treasure and joy. And grace here um, in this verse doesn't simply refer to God's forgiveness of sin, but to the gracious divine power at work in the hearts and lives of the readers. Paul understands that God's grace should always lead to human gratitude and the changed lives who both enjoy and make much of their treasure. The chief end of man is to love God and love people. That's the Dan Hardy version. That comes straight from God's word. Do all for the glory of God and for the sake of others. As we finish up here, just a um, maybe a confession and then an encouragement is that, as I said earlier, I can work pretty hard at preserving my own life, protecting my reputation, controlling my environment, not caring about others. And you know where that always ends up for me? It's a, a miserable life. When I protect myself, I live a life of self-protection rather than a life of self-sacrifice. I can choose, on the other hand, to die to self and enjoy my all-powerful treasure and really start living. Life comes through living. So are you trying to find life by protecting your life or by giving it away? Are you trying to find life by preserving what is yours or giving it away? Are you more concerned this morning about being served or serving others? Are you living for the sake, for your sake or for the sake of Jesus and others? Four profiles of a follower of Christ is that we, are, we have treasure in jars of clay. That we live by dying. We believe in God's we have faith in his, we see his past faithfulness, and we believe in his future promises. And it doesn't mean we don't have doubts along the way. We can pray, I pray the prayer often, God, I believe, help my unbelief. But when we stand firm and believe and see God's past faithfulness and, and have faith in his future promises, we have the boldness to speak and live for the glory of God. And number four, that, that, that empowers us to live for the sake of others in the glory of God. Let's pray. God, thank you that, um, that, we, uh, that you didn't leave us here um, after, uh, after dying, <laughs> taking our place, taking all of our sin, becoming our sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. 
that you didn't just leave us here to, uh, to live a, a helpless life, um, hoping one day that we um, <clears throat> will be with you. That is our hope. But you've given us um, you as our treasure that um, indwells us today. And we thank you that we are strengthened by, the, by your power, by your all-surpassing power. And I thank you, God, that it's by your strength that we can live the life of joyful obedience, um, laying down our rights, laying down our life, and living for your glory and for the sake of others. And um, God, I thank you that, um, that none of this saves us. Uh, God, if there's anybody here this morning that is going, yep, I just, yep, 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 I just, I need to, need to just work a little harder, a little harder at being better. And serving my wife and my kids and my neighbors and my church. Thinking in some way that they can earn a position with you. Father, may that, may that not be. I pray, God, that if there's somebody here today that you would reveal to them afresh that salvation is from you. And it comes by faith. And acknowledging that we're sinners, with, that, that we have uh, no way of earning our way to you, but putting faith in your death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And letting the love of Christ compel us to want to live sacrificial, dying lives for your glory in the sake of others. So God, thank you for your spirit that indwells us. Thank you for the hope that we have of being with you one day. And thank you that you're not only the, it's not only the message we believe and proclaim, but that your life, by your grace, is the message that we want, is, is the life that we want to live uh, for your glory and the good of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.